So uh, this morning, uh, you know, I told the folks, I, I read recently a news report of a lady in New York City, uh, just recently, a pregnant lady, went to a restaurant in the evening to, she wanted to get a hamburger. She was hungry, you know, moms, ladies understand at certain times you have certain cravings. And she had a craving for a hamburger and she went to her, her, region, or her local place to get a hamburger and she went in there all out of beef and she couldn't get a hamburger. She'd get other things, but she couldn't get a hamburger. So she left and came back with a baseball bat and broke out all their windows. And I said, I read that story. I said, you know, I'm sure that after her hormones settled down, after the, the, the feeling, the desire for a hamburger went away, she had some regrets. Uh, probably had some regrets right away when she was in cuffs and everything else that took place. It's, you know, how do you explain to your child after they're born and they're growing up, boy, your pregnancy was funny. You know, I had some special memories about your pregnancy. Uh, I was arrested. What? Uh, you had an influence on me. Yeah, well, we understand what it is to, we hear that word regret. And we understand what that word means. Whether we admit that we have regret or not, every single one of us, at some point in life, have regrets. There's things that we regret that we did things that we regret that we said, things that we regret in our past. And we understand uh, that they're there. And oftentimes those regrets become debilitating. Uh, they become controlling. And they consume our thought process. And regrets of things before keep us from doing positive things in the now. You know, we, we said that uh, we closed out yesterday and, and, and challenged uh, those couples that were there that, you know, we all have a goal and a purpose and a priority to please and honor and to glorify God. But, you know, the only time that we can please and honor and glorify God is right now. You know, we can't go back. You know, you can't go back to the nine o'clock service and praise and worship God. It's gone. You know, you can't go back 10 minutes and re-sing one of those songs and praise and worship God. It's gone. You can't go back to yesterday and, and, and pick up uh, the Bible reading that you intended to do that you didn't get done. It's gone. You know, you can't go to tonight and worship God through the class that you're going to be in because it's not here yet. And there's no guarantee that it's going to be here. We know that anything can happen to hinder us from the future moments to come. The only time that we can praise and worship and honor and adore and love and acknowledge God is right now. The time that we're in is the only time that we have. And so when we get consumed with things that we can't go back and do anything about, we miss out on the opportunities of right now. When we get consumed about what's coming, you know, there's so many people that spend their life preparing for something. You know, we're preparing for, uh, we're preparing for the kids to go to school, or we're preparing for the kids to be out of school. Or we're preparing for retirement, or we're preparing for this step of life. And when we get to this certain level, then when we get to this certain place, then we're going to really do something. And we miss out on all the opportunities that God affords us right now all the things that God intends for us to do right now. You know, this morning I want to preach a message to you called Regret to Restored. Because as there is regret, thankfully as Christians, there's restoration. But not all Christians acknowledge or accept the restoration. All Christians, if we're honest, we acknowledge that there's regrets. But if we're living in regret, we're not living in restoration. If you turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, uh, thankfully, you know, Will told me what time to be done during the nine o'clock service, but he didn't mention anything about this service. And as I told the folks over the weekend, I'm still on Montana time, so it's actually 1043 right now for me. Uh, so we've got plenty of time this morning. I'm so excited about that. Of course, I did notice that Will mentioned that uh, for the uh, anniversary service, if you come at the 11 o'clock hour, you're only going to be missing the first half of the message. So I think he's got an extra double one planned for that day. So get excited about that. Double blessing, that's exactly right. 
Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 30. Uh, here it says, they, And when they sung in hymn, they came out into the Mount of Olives. Here we've just finished up. The Lord has uh, come to the disciples. They've finished the, the Passover. He has implemented what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, he has uh, committed this new opportunity. They sung a hymn. They went out. And verse 31 says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the other disciples. You know, and when it comes to regret, you know, the first thing I see here is the denial that takes place. The denial that takes place. You see, Peter had this proclamation of allegiance. <laughs> Have you proclaimed allegiance to Christ? If you're here born again, you pray, you you proclaimed allegiance to Christ. You know, you've, maybe you've made a commitment to Christ in an area of life. You committed, you said, Lord, I'm going I'm, I'm to read the Bible so often. Lord, I'm going to make certain that I'm in church services. Lord, I'm going to do this in my family. Uh, Lord, I'm going to make certain that I'm going to the, the men's event that's coming up or the ladies' event, uh, uh, the couples thing. And, and Lord, I, I'm, I'm proclaiming my allegiance. And, and Lord, I love you. You know I love you. And I'm going to do these things. And Peter proclaimed his allegiance, as well as the others. That little tag on there also said all the disciples, Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm there too. You know, kind of that peer pressure kind of allegiance that they all gave to the Lord. And the thing that I see here, I says, I'll die before denying you. Talking about commitment is easy. Everyone does it. Everyone talks about commitment. How many commitments have we made? How many promises have we given to somebody that we've not followed through? How many promises have we made to our spouses? Oh, yes, honey, I'll get that done. You know, uh, you see, uh, I have a lot of projects at our house. Um, you know, and I make sure I keep a lot of them started so I have something to always work on. Uh, you know, because in my mind, I can see them done. You know, but my wife, she doesn't have the same vision I have. She, she, she actually wants to see them done, which I just is kind of foreign to me. I, I can see them done in my mind. So, I mean, in my mind, they're done. It's going to be okay. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get that done. Yeah, okay, I'm going to get that done. In fact, we're at one of the questions you asked your wife about what she wants to be done. I asked her, and I was like, you want me to get that? I'm putting this little mudroom addition on the end of our house, and... And uh, I said, you want me to get that done? She goes, no, I want you to clean up all the other stuff that's out in the other areas. I was like, oh, that wasn't in my top five. Like, Great. Okay, well, that's easier, so I'll do that. You know, but commitment. Yeah, you know, how, how many of have talked to the pastor and, and made a commitment of, hey, pastor, I'm, gonna, I'm going to X. I'm going to do this. I want to do this. How many of us have talked about, well, my plan is this, 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 and this, and, and here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And we make a commitment. You know, we make a commitment to the Lord on a variety of things. Well, that's what Peter's doing here. And those others joined it. Yeah, us too, us too. We'll die first. Nothing's going to sway us. And so there's this proclamation of allegiance. But then if we go on right away, the Lord, we see the testing of our allegiance, the testing of our commitment. Look what he says there in uh, verse 36. It says, Then... Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that does betray me. The first test of allegiance was, can you pray with me? Lord, I'll die before I'll betray you. Well, what did the Lord ask of him? He didn't ask him to die. He said, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Will you pray for this burden that I'm bearing? Will you pray for this opportunity that I am going through for your benefit, for all mankind? Will you just pray with me? He didn't ask him to do some monumental task. He just said, stay awake and pray. Will you pray for the burden that I'm bearing? I'm preparing to bear this burden for all mankind. I'm bearing the burden that my Heavenly Father has sent me to do. Would you pray with me? You know, there's folks all around us that just simply ask, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for this need that I'm going through? Will you pray for this situation that I'm going through? Oh yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, I, my concern uh, for a long time has always been that prayer lists are more of a gossip page an information page than a prayer page. People want to know what's, what's going on, but they don't want to know enough to be able to take it to the Lord and to intercede and to pray for other people. Because why do people put something on there? Because they want everybody to know. They put something on there because they want people to pray. This is a burden I'm bearing. And Jesus said to His disciples, He said, can you watch and pray with me? Three times He prayed. Three times He came back. And sadly, he finally let him sleep. Okay, fine. Sleep. I'll go do what I need to do. The test of allegiance, the first test, was prayer. Then go to verse uh, 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour, Jesus, to the multitudes, Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hand on me. But all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hands on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. You know, the second test of allegiance I see is this test of physical ability. Are you trusting in your own strength and your own ability? It says here that one of the disciples did it. Well, John tells us that it was Peter. I know all Scripture is given by inspiration, but there's a part of me that just wonders, you know, why was John the one that threw Peter's name in there? Why was John the one that publicly threw Peter under the bus? I, I'm not sure, but, but God wanted us to know. But it was Peter that did it. Peter that said, ah, ah, well, I'm too tired to pray. Here's something. I'm this big, strong fisherman, Lord. They're coming to take my Lord. I'm here to protect you, Lord. I told you I'd die before I would, I would do anything else. I'd die before I'd deny you. I'm here to, I'm here to protect you. I'm going to help you. And so he swung his sword. And the Lord rebuked him. Peter, I didn't ask you to protect me. 
I, I didn't ask you to show off your swordsmanship, which, by the way, stinks because you hit his ear. You didn't, you didn't really do anything. It was a bad aim. Yeah, I said, I, I not, in no way, shape, or form did I ask you to protect me. Could not I have prayed and asked the multitude of the heavenly host to come and to do what was needed? That's not what I called you to do. I called you to watch and pray. I told you to listen because what you're seeing fulfilled is exactly what I told you was going to happen. You failed again. Peter, pay attention. Pay attention to what the Lord is doing. The tests of allegiance came in uh, the opportunity to pray. The tests of allegiance came in the opportunity to show that he had been listening and learning and not taking matters into his own hands. You know, too often, that's how we try to serve the Lord, in our own strength, in our own understanding, in our own abilities, in our own knowledge, in our own understanding of the way things should happen. But then go over to verse 69. Peter has come and he's the one that followed afar off. I mean, he's interested. What's, what's taking place here? I need to go watch. Well, now in verse 69, we see now Peter sat without in the palace and a damsel came unto him saying, Thou also was, was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath. He said, I do not know the man. I swear on a stack of Bibles, I don't know him. He gave an oath, a promise. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. For thy speech is evidence, betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The third test of allegiance was the prophetic test. The Lord told him exactly what was going to happen. The Lord told him exactly what he was going to do. The Lord told him exactly how it was going to. And Peter said, no, Lord, no, Lord, I know me. I know my commitment. No, Lord, I know my promise to you. No, Lord, there is nothing that could make me deny you. Well, except maybe a rough and rugged, fearful crowd of people and going to prison and all the other things that are coming with this. You know, the term, the definition for regret is sad, repentant, disappointed over a lost or missed opportunity. And that's what we regret, a lost or a missed opportunity. And Peter had regret. He had regret because he slept instead of pray. He had regret because he fought instead of listening. He had regret because he disavowed three times using language that associated him with the crowd more than with Christ. He made certain that he used language that they understood. So, hey, I'm one of you guys. I'm going to talk like you guys. I don't know him. And you see the progression? At first you just said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. The second one, no, I swear I don't. And the third one, I'm going to sound just like you guys. I'm going to talk just like you guys. Yeah, I don't know him. And he failed the test miserably. And Peter, as a result, had great regret. And we think about what causes us to have regrets. A word not fitly spoken. A word that is said in anger. Pride, hatred, whether it's spoken word, whether it's a typed word, uh, whether it's a, a, a texted word, whatever it is, a message that goes out that later on we regret because we did it in a wrong spirit and a wrong attitude. Our actions that please the flesh, but we know don't please the Lord. Or actions that we know uh, please others, but not God. We give in to peer pressure. We give in to trying to fit in with 
coworkers or family or neighborhoods or whomever it might be. And without realizing it, we ourselves are denying the Lord who saved us. Oftentimes, Christians have regret over their past. The past that God has forgiven because we've confessed and forsaken, but maybe others haven't forgiven, or we ourselves haven't forgotten. And we ourselves can't believe and understand that God could forgive because others haven't forgiven. We can't understand uh, God's forgiveness because of how others treat us. When God's promises are sure, God's promises are true, God's promises are eternal, God's promises are consistent, and when God promises, God does. He never fails, He never forsakes, He never goes back on His word and His promise. But when oftentimes these things lead us to our own regrets, and we get consumed with our regrets, We get consumed oftentimes with that which we regret and we live in the past to those regrets and those regrets consume us and they control us and they inhibit us from doing as we're supposed to be doing and it steals our joy and as a result we go from regret to being discouraged. And from regret to discouragement we go over to John chapter 21. Go to John chapter uh, 21. And here in John chapter uh, 21, uh, uh, John chapter uh, 21, here Jesus, we see the resurrected Christ. John chapter 20, uh, Jesus, seen of the disciples, uh, the apostle Thomas. Thomas said, I'll not believe he's alive until I see and I can stick my hands in the nail print of his hand and thrust my hand in his side. And then I'll believe because seeing is believing, right? Well, they're still understanding this aspect of faith. We have a couple thousand years of understanding it, but we still have the same understanding that Thomas did oftentimes. Unless I see, uh, then I'm going to know. How do I know if I don't see? Well, Thomas came and the Lord showed himself. And there, and you see in chapter 21, verse 1, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You know, you know when you're discouraged, when here Peter has seen the resurrected Christ at least twice. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He's communed with Him. The Lord has talked to him. But Peter still had regret. He was still regretful. Now he sees the Lord. He's like, I can't believe that I denied Him. I can't believe I didn't pray with Him. I can't believe that I went through all that. I can't believe I cut off Malchus's ear. I, oh, I just, oh, well, I'm such a dork. What was I doing? I, and, and, and you get discouraged. And how do I know he's discouraged? Because he's gone through this. He sees the resurrected Lord. And what's his response? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm horrible at being a disciple. I'm horrible at being a Christian. I'm horrible at, at, at being a, a champion for Christ. I stink at this. I'm going back to what I know and what I'm good at. I'm going to go fishing because I can have some success. I can do it. I can feel good about myself. And everything's going to be much better then. Fail. Went back to what he knew. Went back to what he was good at. And he stinks at that now. I mean, well, that's encouraging. It's like, man, can I do anything right? No, not in ourselves. Not apart from Christ. As a Christian, we in and of ourselves, there's no good thing. We in and of ourselves, we cannot accomplish good, spiritual good. You know, I, I, I talk about there's, there's lots of good people in church. But God is after godly people. We can be godly when we walk with him good is the world's definition godly is god's expectation 
And that is a privilege and an honor and an opportunity that each and every one of us have available to us. Peter, he went back. He failed Jesus. He failed the disciples. And now I can't even catch fish. I want you to catch this. God's plan doesn't change because of our failures. God's plan does not change because of our failures. God still has a plan. We may fail. You know, we're recorded throughout Scripture. In fact, throughout Scripture, uh, there's a whole lot of failures. There's a whole lot of failures that were champions for God. There's a whole lot of failures that were uh, uh, listed in the Hall of Faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11. There's a whole lot of failures uh, that messed up, that they repented and they turned back to God and God used them. Samson was a failure. He trusted himself and he played with the gift that God had gave him and that was taken away. And one last time he said, Lord, restore unto me your glory, your power, your ability to avenge all. And God gave him one last opportunity and he put out the pillars and he said he slew more Philistines in that day than all of his life combined. One more chance. David was a, a, an abysmal failure. David, one of his faithful soldiers of Uriah. David, while Uriah is off battling the war that David had sent them on, he took Uriah's wife to himself. And he realized he messed up and now uh, she's with child. And, and so he calls Uriah back and, and said, well, let me cover up my sin because that's what we do with sin. We cover it up when we're focused on ourselves. We cover that up. And so let me come back and cover it up and bring Uriah back. And, and Uriah, you go, you go spend a couple of nights with your wife. You've deserved it. And Uriah said, while my comrades are in battle, I will not enjoy my wife in my own bed. And he slept outside the door. Well, David still wanted to cover his sin. So what did he do? He sent Uriah back to the battlefront. And he sent word with him. Here's some orders I want you to give to the commander. Send Uriah, go Go get the battle hot. Get everybody fighting hard. And as the battle is raging hot, pull back and leave Uriah there. And they did that. And Uriah perished. And David was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet came and told him the story. There was a, there was a, a rich man that had all the sheep in the country. And there was one, one, one little guy, one little shepherd. He had one lamb. And the rich man came and took his lamb from him. And, and David was like, what? Who is that? Who is that man? He's going to pay. And Nathan said, thou art the man. You know, he didn't have to tell him why. David knew immediately. You know why David was called a man after God's own heart? Because David stopped trying to cover. When he was confronted with his sin, he confessed it. He repented. And he said, you're right. Woe is me. And God used him. You know, so we see Peter. And he went back to fishing. And, and now he's ultimately discouraged. Hey, man, he had regret. And now he's discouraged. And what's he going to do? Well, he goes on. He says there in verse 4 of John chapter 21. But when the morning was come was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat about him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And on the other disciples came in a little ship, for they're not far from the land, as it was about a hundred, couple hundred cubits, and dragging the net with fishes. As soon, as, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dare ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and the fish likewise. 
Peter was, had regret and he was discouraged and he failed. And then Jesus came. And Jesus always comes. He always comes to encourage his own. Of course, the first thing he showed Peter is like, what's so hard about catching fish? I mean, you got a net full there and I've already got some cooking. I don't know what took you guys so long. Here's what happens when you're doing it in your own strength. Here's what happens when you're doing it in your own understanding. You got discouraged. You went back to what you're good at. Uh, you're not quite so good as you think. And by the way, look what you have when you're with me. Look at the blessings that you have when you trust me. Look at the blessings that you have when you walk with me. Come and dine, says the Lord. Come and eat. You know, the discouraged followers had a quiet breakfast. <laughs> It's interesting, they were done talking. They were done talking about commitment. Now they were experiencing it. Now they were at a crossroads. Do I live committed or do I just talk about being committed? And see, when we go from denial to discouragement, when Jesus comes, He's the one that brings restoration. He makes it available to all. Then Jesus came. And Jesus came and took care. You know, God is love. And in His love, He expects His family to love Him supremely. We confess. He forgives. We continue to follow. And it's a choice that we make. But look what He says here in, uh, down in verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. You know, as we looked at the marriage conference, you know, we in the English language, we have one word for love, and we use it for everything. Whether it's our food, our spouses, our children, our hobbies. We say, I love this, and we're using the exact same word all the time, but not the Greek language. Uh, the Greek language actually here in this passage uses two words for love. Agapao and phileo. Agapao is uh, that total committed love. Total commitment in love. Phileo is that love of affection. You know, so when you say agapao, I am totally committed in love. You know, so uh, that's what you would say to your spouse, your children. I am totally committed in love. You know, phileo is what you would say is, you know, I, I have affection for good food. I have affection for, you know, uh, you know these people. I have affection for those that, uh, in other areas and places. Well, here the Lord says, do you agapao me? Do you, are you more committed to me than to these? What are the these? The boat, the nets, the fish, the money, etc., and on and on. Are you more committed to me than to these? Well, you know how Peter responded. He responded, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I have affection for you. And you know why Peter responded that way? You say, well, why isn't he responding and I'm total affection? Peter's still coming out of regret and discouragement. He's saying, it's obvious that I don't have total commitment to you. It's obvious, Lord, in my actions that I don't have total affection. And I'm not going to say it again. I'm tired of saying it. I haven't shown it. I can't say it, Lord. I can't say that I have total commitment to you. I have failed. And the Lord says the second time, uh, and he says there in verse 16, he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. You know, the first one, Peter was humbled and knew his actions didn't equal supreme love. The idea to tend my lambs is to take care of what I've entrusted to you. Do as I have asked you to do. Here the Lord says, Do you agapao me again? Do you have total committed love to me again? And Peter once again says, yes, I phileo you. Yes, I repeat the same thing. 
when he says, shepherd my sheep, take oversight of what I've entrusted to you. Take ownership of what I've given to you. Take ownership of the responsibilities that I have given to you. The Lord is bringing him back to a place of service. And that's what the restoring Savior does. He reminds us that this life is not ours. We've been bought with a price. Our sin penalty has been paid. Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We know that He has given His all to us. And then on the third, He saith on in verse 17 the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. You know, this time the Lord said, Do you phileo me? Do you have that affection for me? Do you simply have that? You know, and Peter now, remember Peter was emphatic on the third one. He, he cussed and he swore and said, I know not the man. Well, that's the kind of emphasis he has here. Lord, Lord, you know everything. You're omniscient. There's nothing. You know I love you. You know what? I believe the Lord was teaching Peter. Yes, Peter, I know you love me. I believe the Lord's teaching Peter that Peter would understand that he loves him. That Peter would understand what his love for Christ was to look like. That Peter would understand that the Lord was long-suffering. That the Lord was restoring. That the Lord was available. That the Lord was going to show himself strong. Are you committed to that kind of love and affection? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. As he said the third time. Peter was no longer filled with self-strength and self-wisdom, but was now humbled before the Lord to submit to Jesus' strength and Jesus' wisdom. And that's what the Lord does. He longs and desires that we come to the place where we say, I can't. And the Lord says, I know, but I can. And that's where I want you to be. I don't want you to be in the place where you think it's all about you and what you can do and what your abilities are, and what your faculties are capable of, and what your resources can accomplish. I want you to understand this is about me and what I can do. You know, most of us, we look at the truth the Lord teaches of if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast hence and be thrown into the sea. And we think, oh, that's kind of an allegorical. I mean, I couldn't have that. Oh, really? Well, what about Elijah on Mount Carmel? You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? Yeah, I remember the first few times reading that as a young Christian. I mean, as an adult, but as a young Christian, reading that, I was like, oh, I would never pray that prayer publicly. I mean, how embarrassing if God didn't come and do it. I mean, you know, Elijah, when he, when he was battling all the, all the prophets of Baal and, and all the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things. And he said, oh, your God must be sleeping. He's not coming and taking the, the offering. And, and Elijah had the offering, the, the bullock setting up on the offering. He said, bring a whole bunch of water and pour it on there. And they poured water all over and it filled the trough around there. And then he prayed to God and he said, God, you end all these things and show yourself strong. And the fire from heaven came and licked it all up, the water and everything else and killed all the prophets and everybody else well now we acknowledge that your God is the God of gods but a lot of us look at that and say oh, I could never have that kind of faith yes we can yes we can you've got a pastor who had faith five years ago that God had him come from Indiana to plant a church in Houston. That no doubt some were questioning. But God is faithful. And God shows his people exactly what he wants to do. Five years later, there are people here who have been saved, have been baptized, have been or are being discipled, are growing in faith, are sharing their faith, other people are being impacted and influenced 
because of obedience to what God would have us to do when it doesn't make sense. You know, stepping out in faith, it quite frankly doesn't make sense unless you've done it. You know, when you can understand what it means to step out in faith, when you've done it, you can look back and you see how strong God's doing. When you're looking forward, it doesn't make sense. The children of Israel going into the promised land, carrying the ark, and the, and the river Jordan was running big and heavy and fast. You know what they had to do? The river Jordan did not dry up but one step at a time. It didn't stop until they took a step. What? Whoa! <laughs> do that again, huh? Wow! Okay. Let's try it one. Whoa, no! And that's what happens when you walk with God. What doesn't make sense to the flesh? Well, Peter went through this. There's three public denials. He denied the Lord in prayer. He was too tired. He was too tired to pray. I mean, everybody understands how tired we get. We understand with each other. Well, I know you're probably too tired, but, well, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay. Why well, do today Well, you can put off till tomorrow? That's what my flesh says. <laughs> he failed in prayer. Peter was the big, strong fisherman. He was going to protect the Lord. After all, the Lord wasn't going to protect himself. He needs me. He needs, he needs my physical ability. That's what God needs. He needs my physical ability to really do something. He said, no, Peter, that's not what I need. Okay, well, at least I'm not going to deny you like you said. And he ended up weeping bitterly. And he went. Three public denials led to very personal regret and discouragement. But yet three personal statements of restoration by Jesus led to very public rejoicing by Peter. You know, whatever our regrets... Restoration forgiveness is always available in Christ. When I can't, that's when we see He can. You know, the thing is that Peter became refocused and completely committed. You know, you go there to the beginning of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 12. It says that, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount. Jesus had ascended from the Mount Olivet. The disciples were coming back. Verse 13, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where they abode. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, uh, son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together, about 120 men, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, and Peter begins to preach. And that's what we see in the life of Peter from there on out. He not once did he shirk back from Christ. Not once did he shirk back from the Word. Peter was imprisoned. Peter was beaten. Peter was threatened. Peter was accused. And all manner of things happened to Peter. But not once did he turn back. You know, the only time he tried to deny the Lord is when the Lord uh, gave him the vision of Cornelius with the Gentiles. He said, not so, Lord. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, what am I saying? I'm not going to eat that. And he was restored. You know, and you think about here's a man... You know, there's so many more things we can look at the life of Peter that he would have regret over. I mean, Peter, the bull in the china cupboard. But even more so, I think of the Apostle Paul. You know, what a great champion for Christ. The bulk of our New Testament was penned by him, certainly under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but penned by him, who was Saul of Tarsus, the great Pharisee, who was the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, who was at Stephen's death, consenting unto his death and unto his stoning. And they laid their clothes at Saul of Tarsus' feet. And Stephen, the first Christian martyr, perished. And he, and he saw the Lord in heaven and they sent him to eternity. And Saul of Tarsus, who, who gathered orders and imprisoned Christians, killed Christians, consented unto their death. We don't know how many, hundreds or thousands, or whatever it was. But on the road to Damascus, when Jesus met Saul, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
And Saul met Jesus for the first time, and Saul was converted. But, you know, when we see that Saul spent so much time away, oh, we know in Damascus that uh, he, he began to teach and preach. He went back to Jerusalem, but he went into the wilderness. He went into the unknown for some time. And I believe that it was the time that he needed to overcome his regret and discouragement. Because you imagine what he went through as he came before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm so sorry. All the Christians that I've had put to death, all the lives that I have harmed and hindered, all all the evil that I've brought to the name of Christ, Lord, I just don't know why you don't kill me. Lord, I just don't know why you, why you saved me and why you could use me. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus saves sinners. And Paul said he saves sinners of whom I am chief. You know who you should recognize as the chief sinner? Yourself. Because nobody else is a worse sinner than you are, except me. The worst sinner we know is the one we live with. Not outside of this body. Not the one next to you. Ourselves. The Apostle Paul, and he went through all that, and he went through uh, the restoration process, and he became a a great and faithful champion. But look what Paul said over in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter of course I love Philippians 3.10 that was our camp verse it's our ministry verse just in general Paul he knew Christ he knew everything about him but he says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death you know what Paul's saying he said I can never know him enough I can never know him enough personally privately publicly I can never know enough about him But look what he says down there in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know where to forget what's behind us? We're to forget all of the accolades and positive things. You know, all the things that we live on today Well, I remember when I was whatever. I remember all of my physical abilities. I remember all of my awards. Well, when I was this age, I got that. You know, I remember 20 years ago when I led a man to the Lord. What about since then? Well, did I tell you about 20 years ago when I led a man to the Lord? It was a great experience. He said, no, he said, well, whatever happened in the past, forget it but also those things that we regret and get discouraged over. That if we've cast it at the feet of the cross, if we've confessed it, if we've forsaken it, and regardless if anybody else decides to forgive us or not, you know the promises? God didn't say, hey, once you get everybody else to forgive you, then you got me too. You know what he said? He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel and be saved according to his shed blood, according to his sacrifice. And so we forget those things, those regrets, those discouragements, those failures, and we say, I can't do anything about it. But I'm going to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, And I'm going to do the best I can to keep him at my focus. I'm going to do the best I can that God's word is going to be that lamp and that light unto my feet today. I can't do tomorrow. I can't do yesterday. I can't do next week. I can plan for all the things in the future. But Lord, help me to walk faithful today. Lord, on this Sunday, help me to be faithful to you this afternoon. Help me to be faithful to you in uh, coming back to uh, the class tonight. Lord, help me be faithful to you, to the the breakfast that's coming up and the outreach into our community, that that I can share your love with others, the love that I'm so grateful and thankful that somebody else shared with me. You know, we're so thankful that somebody else shared the love of Christ with us. Are we thankful enough to share it with another soul? 
regret and discouragement we all find. But restoration is found only in Christ and Christ alone. And the Apostle Paul gave us great understanding of how to live and to walk in that restoration. The Apostle Peter, you guys have already looked at his life through the first 12 chapters of Acts. You've seen the difference that all he has done. You know, I love Acts chapter 12. I, I love it when Peter was in prison and, and as uh, the Spirit came and delivered him from prison in an impossible situation. Impossible. You know, and I, I, I chuckle because of you know, my own understanding. But I think of, as it says that they're in the house praying for Peter. And as Peter is miraculously delivered. And Peter, uh, you, know, you know, we Christians of great faith, we pray correctly. Uh, Peter was delivered and he came and knocked on the door. It was a metal door. And, and the young lady came and, who is it? It's me, Peter. <gasps> who? <laughs> Peter. Oh, she didn't open the door. She ran and she goes, Peter's at the door. And all of the righteous prayer warriors were in the other room saying, woman, you're mad. It can't be Peter. He's in prison. We're praying for him to have a swift and timely death. You know, a painless death. You know, and they wouldn't have done that yet. But somehow, maybe God allowed him to die early so he didn't have to suffer any pain. And it's his ghost. It's his spirit. Okay, well, let's go see. Wait a minute, it's Peter in the flesh. Hey, guys, didn't you have any faith that God could release me? Where's our faith at? Well, if we're living in regret and discouragement, our faith is very minuscule, if visible at all. And I hope and pray that we will overcome. Turn it over to the one who will overcome. Regret and discouragement, that our faith may be strengthened, that our walk would be encouraged, that our involvement for Christ would be evident, and that Jesus would be magnified and glorified in us and through us in these days to come. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and graciousness. We thank you for the clarity, the simplicity of your word, the accounts and records that you've given to us, that we might walk wisely that we might walk circumspectly, that we might walk in a manner that is well-pleasing to you. And Father, you know hearts and souls, I see faces. And I pray, Father, for all of these faces that I look upon, that I know not what's going on in their hearts and lives, but you do. And as you minister to us corporately, I pray, Father, that even more, that as you minister to us personally, to each individual, I pray that we are open and attentive to that which you are speaking, open and attentive to that which you are prodding, open and attentive to that which you are trying to get our attention over, open and attentive to your encouragement as well. And whatever the needs are, I ask and pray that in your grace, in your glory, in your promised presence, that you would have the victory as only you can. And we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.